0: If you're tuned in to Mark's Marvelous and the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show right here at Henselida, That's K-H-E-N-L-P right here in the Arkansas River Valley. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We've got a special show tonight. Holly T. Bird is going to be giving us a call to talk about the Standing Rock Tribe protests going on in North Dakota. This is important stuff. And on that note, and I will repeat this disclaimer as the show progresses, but uh, I need you to know that any and all opinions that you hear on the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show or mine and mine alone, they do not represent the station, our affiliates, our supporters, or anyone else unless they say otherwise. And if they do, I want to hear about it. You hear what I'm saying? You hear me screaming. So uh, Standing Rock is gaining more attention across the country. For those of you getting a bunch of your information from Facebook... I'm sure most of you have heard about this. It is in the news, and uh, NPR has been reporting on it. Democracy Now! has been reporting on it, and we've been seeing it in many other places. Disturbing images have arisen regarding uh, the protesters and the police police forces getting in the way of peaceful protests on Native American land. Now, I am not going to claim, in any way, shape, or form, to be an expert on these issues, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm talking about this from Colorado, which is one of the reasons we're going to have Holly on the show, and uh, she's going to tell us what's going on. That being said, I want you to stay tuned. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, have them tune in. Uh, the, the, if, if you're in Salida, and I know you know where you are, but it's uh, 106.9 on your FM dial, Give your friends a call. Uh, Have them tune in if uh, they are so inclined and uh, have the time. If not, have them make the time. Once again, please do tell your friends. And if you're interested in staying on top of what's going on with the show, even though it's going to be on somewhat of a sabbatical for the next little while, you can log on to Mark's Marvelous 101. That's M-A-R-X Marvelous 101 on the Facebook machine. You can like the page and keep you posted on what's going on, or you can participate in the discussions. Post facto. That being said, every morning, nonetheless, you're tuned into Mark's Marvelous and the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show. I'm here with Holly T. Bird. Holly, good to have you on. Thanks for tuning in and uh, calling in. Just want to give you a, a little introduction. Holly Bird is an attorney and a judge that deals specifically, in in large part, I think, with uh, Native American issues in Michigan and elsewhere. But she's uh, based in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, her background includes a Juris Doctor from DePaul University College of Law. She graduated from Michigan State University and uh, also attended Interlochen Arts Academy in Michigan. Um, she's also a Supreme Court judge with the, and uh, Holly, if I schmangle the, uh, the pronunciations, if you'd help me out, the uh, Natawa Seppi Huron Band of the Potawatomi Tribal Miami? Court. But, say that again.
1: Potawatomi
0: Potawatomi thank you. And uh-huh. uh, also the um, uh, chief judge with the uh, – or acting interim chief judge with the Grand Travers Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians Tribal Court, um, and an associate judge, uh, also uh, a faculty member with the University of Phoenix, and uh, an attorney uh, with the uh, the law office of – is it Holly Bird now? Yes. Yes. Holly T. Bird. Holly T. Bird. Um, also, an assisting, assistant prosecuting attorney with the Grand Traverse County Office of the Prosecutor, uh, a long list of accomplishments and associations uh, associated with uh, the legal field. Uh, anything you want to add to the to the long list, Holly? Uh,
1: well, currently I'm um, I no longer work as the chief judge for the Grand Traverse Band, and the uh, um, currently I'm with HT Bird. I'm a um, an attorney, private attorney, as well as a judge. Um, I'm the uh, an arbitrator, a mediator, and a peacemaker as well. Um, was lucky enough to receive a fellowship through the um, American Arbitration Association in 2013 as I believe one of their first Native American arbitrators. And I um, have also done a bit of work on uh, the Michigan Indian uh, Family Preservation Act. Uh, was helpful in getting those court rules developed and I work closely with the American Indian Law Committee of the Michigan State Bar.
0: Great. Can you tell me a little bit about the Michigan Family Preservation Act? What does that uh, what does that aim to do? Uh,
1: as, as many people know, the Indian Child Welfare Act is a federal law that was passed to address the needs of um, Native children within the foster care system as well as within um, adoption cases and, and things of those natures. Anything... Involving the removal of Native American children uh, from their uh, biological families, and um, the federal law, although it was a federal law, was being applied to the states in sort of an indiscriminate manner by the by the state court judges. So, um, in many states across the U.S., uh, organizations got together to help create state laws that mirrored or um, emphasized and sometimes actually um, cleared up any any discrepancies within their own court systems, um, the Indian Child Welfare Act. So it allowed um, the tenets of ICWA, the the principles of ICWA, to be applied within state courts on a more consistent and even basis.
0: Okay. No, that makes sense that uh, there should be some standardization across the board. Um, so, uh, just so you know, and I think we've talked a little bit about this prior, but uh, people are going to be calling in—not necessarily put on the air—but they can call in. We have uh, two people manning the phones, and they'll be uh, when, pe- when, and if people call in, uh, they'll be um, uh, forwarding questions to me to forward to you. So, just to give you an idea as to how we how we tentatively have this set up, at least.
1: Fantastic.
0: So, um, I-, I wanted to ask you a, a few questions, and we talked about these briefly prior to you calling in, um, and they're not in any particular order, but part of the reason I want to ask these questions is I I think there is a lot of misconception about what's going on at Standing Rock, and there's also a a lack of clarity in general. Uh, People are getting reports. We're seeing videos um, but it's very piecemeal, and I, as you may know, a lot of people are getting their news via Facebook these days. One of the challenges of Facebook as a as a news outlet is uh, it has to do with the algorithms they use to uh, orient what people see and what people don't see. So I, I'm hoping this this uh, interview and the radio show in general can assist in clarifying some of the misconceptions and maybe filling in some of the blanks that may be out there.
1: Well, and I I really do welcome and appreciate the opportunity to do that, David, because um, this is a an issue that has not been widely um, shared by the media and has not been widely covered, despite its historical importance. Um, basically, um, what's happening in, in Standing Rock um, in North Dakota is one of I, I would say is the largest um, protest of Native American people within the history of our country. Um, and it, it's not just Native Americans um, that are involved in the issue. Um, there are many, many non-Native people that are also involved, and the the, the complete um, issue affects everybody very widely, um, both Native and non-Native down the line. So I really do appreciate that um, you're here trying to clear up any misconceptions and, and Having some clarity on the issue
0: because um, that's very important. Super. Well, we'll, we'll do what we can. Uh, Salida is a relatively small community, but I like to think that we have a global reach with the radio show. So hopefully, we get a bunch of people tuning in. Um, so I, I was hoping you could speak a little bit to um, the the legal standing uh, of the uh, Standing Rock uh, protest going on right now. Where, where where do the where do the protesters uh, what's their legal ground uh, to their claims? Can you speak a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, first of all, the the claims that are being brought in a in, a, in the legal um, court action are being brought by the Standing Sioux Tribe themselves. Standing Sioux Tribe is a is a sovereign, independent nation, um, which um, is part of a historical um, set of tribes that lived. Within North and South Dakota, um, currently they have a, a smaller land base, which they call the Standing Sioux Reservation. Um, when uh, it was became known that uh, Dakota Access Pipeline through Energy Tran- Transfer Partners, who is the conglomerate company um, building the pipeline, um, intended to come through their land, or at least a half mile north of their land. And to build uh, a pipeline under Lake Oahe, which is basically on their, you know, is their their main source of water, um, they became involved, Um, and they should have been involved from the beginning. During the anytime there's a uh, a pipeline being built, they need to uh, um, get permits from the federal government. In this case, it would be the Army Corps. Um, of engineers to, in order to even begin building. And, and as part of that permit process, they're supposed to identify uh, potential environmental concerns. They're supposed to identify potential and uh, sensitive areas, including um, historically um, important areas, cultural areas, um, areas that that have public importance of some kind. and. Um, Essentially, they applied for a permit that precluded a lot of that um, and, uh, and gave them greater permissions in allowing discharge from this pipeline that they might not otherwise have had. How
0: did um, and
1: essentially, the, the government allowed them to kind of do their own fact-finding and submit their own reports as to whether or not there was... Um, any of those what I call ping factors in the permit process—the sure. environmental, or the historic, or the preservational concerns—allowed um, them to present their own reports on that, which unfortunately were um, didn't have any any tribal input whatsoever.
0: So my understanding about regarding environmental environmental impact reports is that is generally done by an independent party. Is that is that am I correct in that?
1: For most other people in the world, yes. Okay,
0: so so so, uh, and you may or may not know, but how did they get around this? What 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 special considerations um, were the energy transfer partners afforded?
1: Well, part of part of the consideration and all that, and this this extends to everybody along the pipeline, was that they used um, a theory of eminent domain, um, which wherein they say we're we we are Creating a pipeline as a public entity, despite the fact that they're actually a private, private entity, right. um, for, for, public, for the public good. And um, by exclaiming that or making that their, their push under the pipeline, they're able to get past a lot of things that um, private companies wouldn't necessarily be able to. Okay. And, of course, all of that's in dispute all, all along the pipeline. Uh, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota—anywhere that it's touching—you'll um, find uh, disputes over that eminent domain. Uh, primarily because a lot of people are saying, "Well, you know, there is there's been no proof so far that this oil will even uh, be used for the U.S. It's probably going to be uh, connected up to another pipeline to be exported, and many don't know that the the government recently lifted. Um, bans on the export of crude oil out of the U.S.
0: Oh, they did? I didn't know mm-hmm.
1: that. Yeah, I think that was uh, 2012. So this all kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Um, nobody's saying that from energy transfer partners, but sure. certainly you can read between the lines.
0: Huh, and and I have to imagine, and you may know, um, did that, that must have had something to do with the XL pipeline dilemma, or did that happen independently of that? Correct. Okay. Yep,
1: Did... I, I would assume so.
0: Okay, especially given the timing. Yes, oh.
1: and and unfortunately, um, the way that that Dapple and you know, I'll I'll keep it short and call it Dapple instead of Energy Transfer Partners. The way that they've proceeded um, with the pipeline has followed sort of a traditional corporate um, take first, deal with it later attitude and um, I believe that a lot of Americans, including Native Americans, are are tired of that. Um, We have landowners, and uh, there's a a story about a lady, uh, a farmer, who had uh, the pipeline built right through her backyard between her house and her barn, and uh, she was arrested for trying to stand in the way of that.
0: So they just just assumed her property is theirs based on uh, eminent domain, is that correct?
1: Correct. They were given an easement by the government to simply build right through there. And th- and that's the same story we're hearing in a lot of places. Now, does that mean that everybody whose land is under DAPL, you know, has contested that? Probably not. There's probably a few out there. And certainly they've purchased tracts of land um, to do that. But they're also going over um, Army Corps land, which um, is land that's supposed to be uh, preserved or managed by the government, and in this case, part of the fight that Standing Rock is pursuing is to prot- pr- uh, protect their ancestral um, homelands. Sure. There's a great deal of it that, that uh, the Army Corps still uh, manages, and they, um, they are uh, just running ripshot over it, and it's unfortunate that... Um, it's really an unfortunate case of what I would call environmental racism. Um,
0: can you define pipeline? Can you define environmental racism? environmental racism just for the audience?
1: Well, um, there's been a lot of cases of this, but when you take for whatever reason a group of people that you can define by a racial characteristic, in this case it would be Native American, and um, treat them differently, and in this case I would say in a negative way, um, as far as respecting their environmental rights, um, you are promoting environmental racism. And I think I can accurately say that in this case because um, this pipeline was already rejected um, at a space north of Bismarck, North Dakota.
0: What was the basis for... Concerns, yeah, go ahead.
1: ...concerns over the water quality for wellheads and drinking water in those areas.
0: <laughs> okay, so let me get this straight. They, um, they, there, there was a water source north of Bismarck that that was this was denied because it may negatively affect water quality, but it's okay. It would seem to go through native land. Precisely. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. They, in fact, it was it was supposed to cross the Missouri River there, and um, I believe it was the Missouri or one of the direct um, sources there, and it was rejected. You know, pretty. pretty quickly by uh, the powers that be in Bismarck as uh, the people didn't want it there because they were very concerned about the quality of their water and so the the next day, place they chose was that running through the Army Corps land um, a half a mile north of the Standing Rock reservation I so and and just the in the manner in which they've pursued it also portrays that environmental racism Um they've gone through and and kind of stripped the process of any uh, rights that the the tribe or the people there had in that consideration. And even now when the the question has been pursued and and the outcry has happened, they're continuing to bulldoze burial sites. They're continuing to... um, try to move forward on it so and I think everybody's been seeing that um, on Facebook
0: I yeah think. now wasn't there a halt uh, at some point put to the construction or has that has that resumed
1: there was a halt um, the initially uh, when the tribe first filed their their suit um, they asked for an injunction against continued construction until their claim um, against the government here the Army Corps of Engineers, um, for granting the permits was heard, and initially that was granted or denied, then granted, then denied, and then um, the Obama administration came down and you know basically asked asked the parties to halt it. I don't believe that there was any official order given. Okay, and that's that's what we're all sort of asking for. You know, we need something official here to to stop this so that the tribe and the government can um, go ahead and um, fairly do this in court.
0: So the the Obama administration, and uh, we talked about this briefly before, the Obama administration has not – stepped up in this, uh, in this process, not significantly, and I have to imagine it has something to do with the fact that we have an, uh, an election going on. Um, do you expect uh, the Obama administration to step in uh, once the election concludes, or uh, do you think this is going to be status quo uh, for the Democratic Party in terms of protecting and or speaking out in favor of Native American land rights? Well, <laughs> I know I'm asking you to speculate. So it's a it's a tough speculative. one.
1: But. I guess, you know, historically, um we have not won very often. Um as Native Americans, we've we've historically fought these battles and and um have not prevailed, so I guess my outlook could be very gloomy. Okay. Um on the other hand, you know, my elders tell me that I should always keep my heart open and hope for the best. Okay. So that's all I can do. I'm I'm hopeful that um, everybody's efforts have not been in vain. There's there's been many many people, and not just natives. I mean, lots of people um, who are at that camp, people on the outside, um, people working very hard to to try to get this issue heard and to try to to help these people, uh, our brothers and sisters over at Standing Rock to to prevail in this matter. Um, I've heard recently that Obama has suggested that it be rerouted, which um, would be a a victory in many ways, but also um, disappointing in some ways, because I think um, ultimately Native Americans do believe that their role is to protect the Earth. That's why we were put here. And um, we firmly do not believe that this this pipeline is in anybody's
0: best interest. Sure. And, you know, that makes sense that, uh, you know, whether or not it's it's tribal land, um, the pipelines in general have been determined to be pretty gosh darn dangerous uh, to our environmental health. So that that's an interesting expansion of the movement. It's not just a matter of uh, tribal rights, but it's a matter of the rights of the earth and our responsibility as humans to protect those.
1: Right. I, I believe in my perfect world I would love to see um, – I would love to see something here like what the Maori did in um, in their country um, back when they were creating treaties um, with the English or whomever came over there. They actually created treaties in which the water there had a had its own right. Oh, so when um, when the government or any private person has to you know build near the water down there, they will. They actually have to. They have a, an attorney that represents the rights of the water.
0: I was just about to ask you how the how the water would advocate on its own behalf, but um, right. I, I can. See. <laughs> okay, well, no, that makes sense. And um, and so, but, but this doesn't exist anymore. I'm presuming.
1: Well, no, this does exist. Oh, it's it's um, in the past. It wasn't as widely um, pursued. You know, uh, now that a lot of Native people have more voice, um, it is. You know, it's it's being more enforced by the Maori, and and in fact, they will often um, refer to the Maori um, elders and people who have knowledge of that water, the ancestral knowledge of that water, for guidance. Huh. So, and I I would love to see something like that
0: here as well. Uh, As as would I. Well, it raises that brings us to another question that I had for you. In terms of uh, representatives for the Standing Rock group, who's representing the rights of the tribe? I I heard the ACLU is uh, present, but I have to imagine there are other bodies that are out there uh, representing or advocating on behalf and with the tribe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, um,
1: the the complaints that were written for um, the Standing Rock tribe themselves uh, they were done by Earth Justice which is a, a you know a really great uh, group of, of lawyers who have put their heart and soul into defending environmental issues um, they really took the lead on this as far as the tribe is concerned and also out there we have um, for the water protectors that are on site and I do want to make a differentiation the standing you know, Rock Sioux Tribe is their own entity. The people that are at the camp is composed that are it's composed of both tribal members from Standing Rock as well as uh, neighboring reservations, reservations. You know, people all over the United States and people from all over the world. Okay. So they're not necessarily falling under the umbrella of the uh, Standing Rock Reservation um, tribal. Uh, lawsuit, but they in their own right are are receiving protection. So the right now the the main force behind that in in the camp is the um, Red Owl Legal Collective, and that is a kind of a subsidiary of the National Lawyers Guild. Okay. And I believe the, the ACLU has probably um, been looking into some of the the incidences of of violations.
0: Okay. Tell me about, uh, if you can, a little bit more about the Red Owl uh, Legal Group. What um, what's their focus? What do they generally do?
1: Red Owl Legal Collective is a um, kind of a subsidiary uh, for the National Lawyers Guild that um, is charged with approaching situations um, for Native American peoples. In this way, they help defend people that are um, either voicing their First Amendment right to. Um, protests, or in this case, the Water Protectors, and um, they're composed of attorneys that are guild members um, that have a, a dedicated purpose to this. Um, hopefully, professional uh, education in this in this exact um, thing, and um, most of them are, are, if not all of them, are pro bono. They come and and give up their own time and money to help uh, defend the water protectors. And what they've been doing is um, providing on-site legal advice, on-site legal support, um, observations in court. Um, And they they will actually, along with and under um, local attorneys, will go and represent people in court um, who have been arrested for, you know, during the protests.
0: Sure. I I read recently that – some anonymous donor donated somewhere around $2.5 million to uh, post bail for a number of the people who have been uh, jailed. I don't know if you've heard about that, um, but I, I have to give kudos to whoever coughed up the money for the cause.
1: Actually, you know what, David? I wish that were true.
0: Oh, it's not true. It's not true. Oh, no. well, thanks for clearing it up because it was in my head as though it were true. So please, yeah. go ahead.
1: I, I, was, I read about that, too, and I was really excited about it, but... Um, you know, there's unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation out there that that is being reported um, by by you know some offshoots of the camp, but then also by people who are kind of meaning to misconstrue what's going on there. Um, that's been a, a real problem all along and. Uh, for example, there were reports that um, at one point that an eleven-year-old girl had been shot right. by Dapple Security. That turned out not to be the
0: case. Okay, well, that's that's good to know that that's not the case.
1: Yeah. And, and same thing with the the two million dollars donor that that turned out not to be the case uh, either. Although, you know, that would have been nice. That
0: would have been the good news. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would say you know they uh, Red Owl Legal Collective is looking for donations to go directly toward the the fund uh, for bail money. Okay people um so if you look you know on facebook they do have a a site there that you can um, donate to
0: and that's the red owl collective correct
1: yep red owl legal collective red
0: owl legal collective and i'm not at liberty to suggest people donate but um i'm happy to know that we have the name out there uh, and uh that they can they can uh solicit that information and go to that site if they so choose um can you talk a little bit about the treaty laws that are in place that are being offended? Yes, uh,
1: absolutely. Um, there's a, Of course, there's a long standing history of, of um, sort of treachery um, involving the government and this particular tribe as well as many of the tribes in that area. Um, as I said before, this tribe was part of a larger group of um, Sioux people or the Siouxian people that... Um, had a really um, large home base um, in North and South Dakota. Um, when the area was sort of being colonized and the government was coming through, they did put together what the, the treaties of Fort Laramie, uh, one in 1851 and one in 1868. And they uh, allowed the, the lands, they kind of meted out the lands to the different reservations a different groups of people, and um, sort of described a much much larger land base than what we currently see. Um, that was whittled whittled down on several occasions when uh, when they found the Black Hills gold. Um, people were were devastatingly misplaced, and they they um, took a lot of of that land back to, in order to exploit the. The gold and the mineral value of the area. So how did they take uh,
0: that, the, how did they take the land back?
1: Um, you know, this was probably back in boy, still the 1800s, I believe, okay. um, early 1900s, and um, by force primarily.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, they, they, they right. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, and then again, um, when they decided to dam uh, the, the Missouri River, creating Lake Oahe. They um, took 56,000 acres that belonged to the Standing Rock Reservation and put them underwater. And those 56,000 acres not only did it displace a really large number of people, um, it also covered a great deal of their um, actually most natural resource. Areas that they had on the on the reservation. There were there were green lands. There were uh, forests. There were cultural sites. There were burials. You know, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, all underwater now. So that happened back in I want to say 1958. So those are those are some of the that's the treaty that we're that they're working under at this point, but. Uh, the way that this has been done, it, it triggers um, several federal laws as well. the uh, The Clean Water Act um, has been uh, looked at because of the the potential for discharge um, in the waters. And they're they're going under the Lake Oahe. They're intending to tunnel under there. Um, the the pipeline crosses the Missouri in several areas. The um, uh, Natural Historic Preservation Act has been invoked um, by the tribe because much of the, the ancestral homeland under the treaty that is currently being managed by Ar- uh, Army Engineer Army Corpsland um, has been uh, has burial sites has sites of, of historic importance cultural value to the Native Americans and. Um, as you've heard on the news, some of that has already been desecrated and bulldozed. Right. In fact, um, just this past week, there have been several skirmishes that have been occurring um, over by the the river. I believe it's the Cannon, Cannonball River and some of the other rivers that are around there. And they show the, the security and the police standing on the lakeshore uh, macing the water protectors who are standing in the river. Yeah, and the reason they're standing in the river, and you can see there's a hill there, um, is because they're trying to protect a burial up there of, of a family that they they know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a native family um, whose relatives are buried up there. And, and, unfortunately, the police and security are walking all over it.
0: I've seen so video oh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. So that's sort of what – what uh, those are some of the things that are we're looking at here Um of course, there's NEPA. The the Environmental Protection Act is also um, being invoked because of the the interest in keeping these areas secure and clean and clean from uh, potential oil spills. And and I don't think it's it's to be taken lightly um, that the tribe really believes this is a life or death issue for them. They know that if if that uh, pipeline goes under their, the lake there. That's their primary source of water. And if there's a leak, it would be catastrophic, not just for them, but for all living things in the area, including uh, the flora, the fauna, um, and everything downstream. So that includes the farmers that ranch there, you know, up and down that, that very
0: area. Sure. I, you know, I just saw a, a video right before the show. Actually, uh, Dan was doing a show, and he talked about the Standing Rock issues, uh, and one of his guests showed me a video where we were uh, zooming in on, the, on the, the protesters were in the water, and they're being uh, bullets are being shot, gas is being shot um, at them, as well as mace, so far as we could tell from the video. Um, and then if you look up on the hill, there are actually snipers uh poised to shoot if, I want to say if necessary, but I don't even know if necessity is an issue here. Um, and th- it seems like they're surrounded. Not only that, they're putting boats in the water to come at the mm-hmm. protesters. Um, yeah. and, and instead of this being something that you know we, we teach our kids about in terms of something the United States and the states themselves uh, did in the past and something we've evolved out of, this is something. It it seems as though we're devolving into, once again. And uh, I, I, I'm not asking for an answer to this. It just seems to me um, that there, there's no way, or that, that we're nowhere close to to uh, getting out of our, our violent roots. We're just reliving them over and over.
1: Well, and you know, there's there's part of that that's true, and part of it that's that's um, maybe not the case. Only because. That area has never really come out of its um, racist roots. Oh. The, the the natives there have been experiencing the the racism that was prevalent in the 1800s never went away, and so um, while conditions may have improved for them over the years, um, the the local governmental attitude has not necessarily, and so. This is something that I've told to some of my non-native friends who who kind of are put off by some of the sentiment expressed by natives. You know, this is a the white people are doing this to us, or sure. um, again another symbol of white oppression. I try to say to them, look, um, you have to you have to take it in context. Unfortunately, a lot of people there, this is all they know about non-native people.
0: one, one of the challenges. Um well, I, I'm, I have to be careful as to how I say this. I was in a meeting a couple of years ago where we were uh, being presented with some diversity training, and uh, pretty much everybody in the room, pretty close, w- would be represented as white. And mm-hmm. the and the person who was speaking to us uh, brought up the term white su- uh, supremacy. A couple of times in their presentation, everybody who just about everybody, I'm not included in this, but um, just about all of the people who were in there walked out thinking that they were calling them uh, white supremacists mm-hmm. and, they, and they couldn't draw the conceptual distinction that, there, right. that there, there's a, a systemic uh, blindness of racism that is part of white culture. Um, that can't be understood unless you're one of the subjugated groups. Uh, it can't be fully understood unless you're one right. of the subjugated groups. And that, you know, there's a degree of humility and, and listening that leads to understanding, I would hope, uh, that needs to happen for people to start understanding these issues more fully.
1: Yeah, and, and I do really think that um, one thing that it's that's not understood is, is just, you know, a lot of people do still think that um, the oppression of Native Americans was 500 years ago, yeah. No, and yet um, it was still legal to um, against a woman's consent or knowledge, without her knowledge, to um, sterilize her in BIA hospitals without her consent until 1984.
0: It blows my mind. Yeah. Absolutely and blows then, my mind. And
1: even now, um, from a legal standpoint, that the, the um, state of North Dakota, there have been several agencies in the state of North Dakota that have been subject to lawsuits uh, by the federal government for um, taking Native children into foster care without proper notice to their parents at a rate of 100% as opposed to 50% for everyone else. Right. And it's not just because, you know, Natives are are what people would historically term them as, you know, drunk Natives. Right. It's because of a bias, and because um, it's just not the dots are not connecting up, and, and they were actually found to be guilty of that. So um, the uh, the racism racism never went away in, in many areas. And as a native woman, I'm, I've been very lucky to grow up in Michigan. You know, where I've had exposure to people of of different nations, different races, different creeds. You know, everything. Sure who have open hearts and open minds. Um, unfortunately, some people have not been exposed to that. And so I always have to tell my friends, you know, don't be put off by that. And, um, and, you're you're going to be, you know, if, if you're supporting them and you're standing up and, and adding your voice to this, you're helping to heal that.
0: Sure. I, 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 too, am a Michigan native, and I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in the Upper Peninsula where the Ojibwe tribes are uh, somewhat prevalent and was exposed to a, a number of their customs, which was eye-opening to me. Uh, yes. And how strong the community is up there from, uh, at least in my experience, was from Marquette to uh, Baraga um, and up toward La in that area. Uh, and th- there's really a strong community of, uh, of Native Americans that are, and I, I don't know whether this is a positive or a negative. I'm going with the positive, that are well integrated into the larger community. I mean, they're not. They're not as. It doesn't seem as though they're as separate from the community as they may be in other parts of the country. But again, I don't. I'm not exposed enough to really make that claim. So.
1: Right. I think. um, And I think integration is an interesting interesting word for that because I it would some of us would call it assimilated. I I was hesitating (laughs) when I
0: said it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm thinking about this four different ways. Yeah, Um, but
1: but it's also. you know, it's also part of, of surviving. Yeah, um, and and I agree. There is a there's a beautiful community here in Michigan um, that still continues to thrive and and has you know one foot in the traditional way and and one foot in the in the non-native world, and they're able to make it work. Um, it hasn't been easy, and and there's always um, there's always things that. That we struggle with as a Native community. My husband's from up here. He's, uh, a Percy Bird. He's a tribal counselor for the Grand Trappers Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians. And he's Odawa and often walks that line himself, um, as a, as a Native man who grew up in the city in Grand Rapids. Yeah. And, um, so we, we struggle with that sometimes. But, uh, in the end, I don't think any of us, um, who are here are not thankful that um, we've had those experiences because we are survivors. We are here. Sure,
0: I, I want to interrupt just for one quick moment. I got a call from Monica Katie a while back. Uh, she didn't have a question, but she is also in Michigan, and she says, "I." And if I'm reading this right, Build Earth Lodges says hello. If that if that uh, registers with you, uh, Holly. Um, and she's happy that we're doing the show. So we have some Native Americans uh, in Michigan listening to the show being produced here in Colorado. And I want to mention to the listeners, the number here on the station is 719-539-1069. That's 719-539-1069. Uh, Dan and Bob are manning the phones. You're welcome to call and ask a question of uh, Holly. If you are so inclined, they will uh, take your question and I will, I will talk about it on the air. Number again, 719-539-1069. You're tuned in to Mark's Marvelous and the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show, speaking with Holly T. Bird, uh from Michigan. We're talking about uh, Native American issues, in particular uh, the Standing Rock protests. So what, I, I still have a, a number of questions for you. Um, the, I, there are a number of people that I've talked to who are planning on going to Standing Rock to support uh, the tribe to support the efforts, uh, e- environmental, racial, all of the above, and they want to help. Um, what advice might you give to people who are traveling to Standing Rock? And along with that, you know, if if you've been there, which I'm presuming you have, you know, what have you seen? What, so I guess one question at a time. What advice might you give to people who, who want to go there and be a, a body on the front lines of the protest? What What should they know?
1: Well, first of all, um, I would say a huge chi-miigwech to, to all of those people. Um, uh, this That's the language from here in Michigan, Moen that means thank you with all of my heart. Um, I'm actually San Felipe Pueblo, and, but grew up here in Michigan, so I've been very lucky to, to learn uh, some of that language. But chi to everybody um, who supports this this issue and, and who wants to help, That's um, we need you, we need you uh, very badly. Um, I don't believe that we will do this alone and I don't believe any of us think that uh, we can do it alone. We need everybody's help. Um, but what you can do is uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can contribute to this cause. Um, for those who, who want to travel to Standing Rock, we need as many bodies as possible. Um, They're trying to to make an actual community in that area um, to be there sort of on a permanent basis so that um, this area is protected for as long as is necessary. So bodies are always needed, um, as well as uh, any provisions that people might be willing to donate. At this time, they're looking for um, anything related to winter. (laughs) I I don't know if... uh, a lot of people have been to the Dakotas in the wintertime
0: but well, oh cold. boy is it cold it's cold that that Canadian uh-huh. air comes down there's nothing to stop it and in
1: the in the the valley where the the Lake awahi and that Cannonball River go through then the Missouri there is a wind that comes through there that is amazing um we were there at the end of September my husband through the the GT tribe organized a a contingent um, a delegation to go there from the tribe and we traveled there bringing ten elders with us and as well as a drum and singers nice. and uh, a sizable donation uh, of whatever we could get together and um, when we got there it was still like i said the end of september it was still pretty warm everywhere else um, it was reasonably warm there but a uh, I think it was the second night we were there, and we had an incredible windstorm that blew down I don't know how many tents Um, in the structures that were there. So um, keeping all of that in mind, uh, anything that gives warmth, (laughs) whether it be clothes, firewood. Um, and there isn't a prohibition to bringing firewood there, by the way.
0: That's interesting because I was just talking to someone who said that she had a ton of firewood uh, to somebody who was going out there, and they were like, huh, can we take yeah, firewood? Man. So apparently they need firewood.
1: Yes, that's okay. a common question. It, um, the, in a lot of states, uh, it's illegal, or they don't want you to bring firewood over state lines because of you know concerns about the Emerald Ash War and things like that. Oh, but sure. there are virtually... Like no trees <laughs> in that part of the country. You can, in fact, I had a a, a friend that was traveling back from there, and Facebook page once she reached another state, exclaimed, "I see trees." <laughs> <laughs> but it's very difficult to to find fire there. So, um, I made
0: I, I made. made... Brought... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> So I imagine hand warmers are probably one of the items that would be helpful. Um, hats, gloves, things of that sort.
1: Yep, heating sources. Heating um, sources. You have old wood stoves. You have portable gas stoves, propane stoves, anything like that. Uh, I know they're really concerned keep the elders warm. They're really concerned about survival. Um, there are children there. In fact, in the last month and a half. Um, and, and there's whole families living there. So, uh, they really need, um, anything that can help people, uh, keep people warm. Uh, right now I heard there's a, a little bit of a shortage of meat. So if anybody wants to bring meat, that's sure. always well appreciated. Um, uh, things for building structures is, uh, is well needed. I know that the, one of my fellow, uh, Pueblo, uh, brothers was helping to, and the security um, the camp, and he expressed a need for building materials as well as um, things to help them observe. So whether they had little body cameras or night vision glasses or things, of the nature, Um I I hear there's a need for um, goggles.
0: Oh, I'm sure with the uh, given the face
1: mask, gas mask. Yeah. Yes
0: gas <laughs> mask yeah and those
1: sound extreme but you know you you've seen the pictures of people getting maced and you know that's a very real fear there in fact when we were there um, the the main camp is you know kind of where everybody's camped out is a is a big flat area next to the cannonball river and off the highway but one of the areas where they they've got camps set up um, or did where the the pipeline was actually you know, being bulldozed through some of the sacred burial sites, um, they had people camped on the really on the side of the highway, and when you would go over there to visit, at least when we did, um, we got a, a tip that the police were coming. Oh! And immediately they started passing out masks uh, and and eye protection for everybody uh, that... because they were you know they were worried to say look you know this is what happens to us on a
0: semi-regular
1: basis and you know
0: if if I were headed there I think that would be probably one of the first things I would do is I would grab goggles um Mm -hmm. gas masks and uh things to uh counter being gassed and to be and and uh with with the pepper spray and all that um what about the
1: my my understanding as well some of the They have cameras in a lot of places. So when you were coming, when we came through from North Dakota, Bismarck area, we had to stop at a checkpoint that was uh, manned by gun-carrying military. And um, they had cameras situated. And from what I understand, um, a lot of the cameras in the area have been using facial recognition software. So they're adding to their database um, as to who's there. And so I know some people are pretty sensitive about that, right sure. I actually brought my son with me, who's thirteen, and had him wear a bandana wherever he was, you know that he could be exposed to that because he was you know he's not a um he wasn't there to make trouble he was really there to help pray as most people are there, and um I certainly didn't want his face you know inadvertently picked up for anybody else so um that, that's another concern there um, but in the camp itself if you do travel I would say bring you know bring us whatever donations you can bring bring provisions for yourself uh, make sure that when you do get there you're you're warm okay. you know, I, I don't think you can go there and expect them to sort of keep you warm it's really like rough camping I know I, so, they... <laughs> I, I, no, I
0: can imagine I can imagine yeah. and, I, and I can also imagine some people going there with good intentions but not being prepared. Correct. Um and so yeah being able to take care of yourself number one and if you can if you can bring provisions to help others in the process that would be uh that would be beneficial i assume I just got a question from a caller can i interrupt for a moment and throw this out yes, there please. um so jean called from Salida um Salida i like to pronounce it the 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 other way um she's uh, wondering or he I don't know which um, about the UN and wonder uh, and knows that they're sending people but how about UN peacekeepers is that a possibility uh, might UN peacekeepers be sent into the United States and I think that's a really interesting question because I don't know I don't know of any time that's been done
1: well here's here's the interesting part of that. Um, many people don't may or may not know that, of course, the United States was instrumental in creating the uh, the UN and the International Declaration of Human Rights. In fact, it was um, Eleanor Roosevelt that helped pen it, <laughs> oh. and she was very instrumental in getting that getting that passed through um, the world as is. Um, unfortunately, until recently, the United States refused to to be a signer to that instrument, um, and although they've they've sort of joined the UN in pieces, they have not um, succumbed fully to the jurisdiction of the UN
0: because they don't have to.
1: <laughs> because they don't have to, right. and some would argue because they um, they themselves have committed so many atrocities. Sure, they'd be subject. Their native people that they could be prosecuted. Right. So. Um, I don't know that the U.N. has – they might be in in an advisory role at this point. I'm not sure if they have the the ability to bring in peacekeepers to the country.
0: In some of the the videos that I've seen – now, it's my understanding, and please correct me where I'm wrong, which I often am, but um, it's my understanding that the military cannot be deployed against uh, our own people on our own land. Is that correct?
1: That should be the case, correct.
0: Okay. So, the, but in the videos that I see, I, I, I'm seeing what I think is a very militarized police force. Is is that a correct assessment of, of what I'm seeing in these videos?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. There's, I really don't know any other way of saying it. Um, you know, I I know plenty of people in the military. I'm, I'm a big supporter of our, our veterans and have heard lots of stories, have heard... Uh, you know, watched a lot of news, I suppose, and, and certainly have had some candid conversations with people who have been part of our military history. And every single one of them, <laughs> same thing. Uh, while this may not be, may not include airstrikes and bombing, the the stance is very much the same. So when you come in with with guns, when you come in with um, helmets, masks. Bulletproof vests,
0: body armor, um, you're and the right.
1: tanks. <laughs> you know, and these the, the tanks that they have are you know it's not just one; they'll have a line of them. Um, in the in the sheer numbers that they're coming in, and um, deploying the use of force that they do, um, some people might argue that Mace is not uh, force. Oh. Um, <laughs> I would have a
0: hard time accepting that argument. Well, um, and,
1: and it depends on how you use it. You know, the, sometimes at the ranges that they are using it and the amounts that they are using, they could actually cause people to to have either medical difficulties and or death. Right. So um, they are using rubber bullets, which they consider to be non-lethal, but at close range can be lethal. Um, tasers can be lethal. We've, we've heard some of the stories about tasers. Sure. And, Succeeded in unfortunately ending the lives of even young people um, on various occasions right. by police forces. So, yes, their their whole stance is meant to intimidate. It's meant to military.
0: Um, well, I, and I think this raises a, a, a larger ethical question that I don't want to delve too much into. But um, I think we're as a country we're going to have to have a serious conversation about what constitutes. Uh, military deployment and what doesn't um, mm-hmm. it's it's not it, it probably shouldn't just be um, are they the bona fide uh, army navy air Force um, but what does the actual force look like in the process of of enforcing laws or, or coming down on the on the on the people so to speak quote unquote um, and and what constitutes military versus non-military? Is this is it military in name or is it military in action? Um,
1: right, and I, and I don't think anybody can say that there's been an order signed um, bringing the actual military into the area, with possibly the exception of the National Guard. But um, you know, any private group of individuals that was dressed up in this, it would be called a militia. Sure which by nature is a military force. Right, right. <laughs> so um, that's what it looks like to the people in there, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. So, Jean, I hope we got to your question, uh, or at least gave you a semblance of an answer regarding uh, the UN uh, possibly sending in peacekeepers. Um, probably not, I think, is the conclusion. Uh, but I think it's a it's a really interesting and important question uh, uh-huh. and raises the, the issue of... Uh, is the U.S. exempt or should the U.S. be exempt from its own uh, rules and regulations that they're trying to enforce elsewhere around the world. Um, so what about behavioral suggestions for people who go to Standing Rock to assist? What would you suggest behaviorally for them?
1: Well, I, I want I to set forth this as a, as a really basic tenet of what's going on there. The elders of Standing Rock and the the Native people that are there um, who are the basis of this action have have asked for it to be a peaceful, prayerful action. They don't want anybody coming who has a mind to deploy any kind of violence. They don't want anybody there that's intending to um, make this their outlet for anger. they don't want anybody there to be there to to pick on the police or um, inspire further um, violence by anybody. I've, I was there, and and um, there was a group of people that were coming through that were native um, that that had some of those thoughts in mind, um, and it was a small group of people that seemed very. Um, sort of not not militarized in their own way, but, the, you know, they were kind of going for that, that look. And um, the elders asked them, you know, not to do it. Okay. They said, no, we don't need this here. This is not what we're here for. And, in fact, I've heard that there have been some people escorted out of camp that had that mindset. So I wanted I want to express that very strongly. When I was there, um, and, and this is my understanding, throughout this whole um, issue which, you know, of course, the protest started at least back in April. Um, it is meant to be peaceful, and it's meant to be prayerful.
0: Okay. Good. And I think it's really, it's really good to, to put out there, because it's not just what's going on um, at Standing Rock and uh, through the protests, but it's also the, the public um, perception of what's going on, and, mm-hmm. and that relates to the support that it's going to get uh, not only in North Dakota, but around the country and around the world in general. So, you know, the rhetorical component of the protest is, is particularly important, and that's related to the behavioral aspects.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah, it's very important to, to know that. And um, so if you are coming, you know, A, expect to be cold. <laughs> right. B, um, you usually are well-fed there, which is nice, but it's, you know, expect to bring your own provisions um, expect to, to meet a lot of people there's um, one of the most beautiful things and I, I got to tell you it's um, in in my life I will never forget my first glimpse of the camp because having come through the checkpoint having traveled 21 hours from Michigan um, to get there you you kind of go over a crest into a valley and suddenly you see the camp. This huge camp, you know, you see teepees and f- all the flags from all the different nations um, and all the people walking around and, and um, immediately you're greeted by people on horseback, you know, natives yeah. on horseback. And I, I literally cried driving into it because I couldn't believe it was happening. Um, it was such an emotional and spiritual moment for all of us. And I know everybody that was with me felt the same. Um, but the The other part of aspect of that that is so powerful and so strong is that um, it's not just us there. There are there are people from many many different places there. Non natives, people from different countries were there. We had uh, ladies from Norway there in their traditional uh, dress, praying and singing with us. We had um, people with just the same amount of heart and the same amount of intent and purpose, um, which made it a much stronger, more helpful, heartfelt and spiritual place where all they're sharing this experience and really working together to um, create a, a community, a peace of prayer and of respect and, and protection for the earth.
0: Nice.
1: And, and in this case, it was for the water. I... Um, and this, you know, some people call it the water is life movement. That's the one I see quoted most often. Um, and which is true, you know, that is absolutely true, and this is a universal thought. So if you do go there um, to be part of that, is, is, I believe will change your life forever.
0: All right, well, it, and it seems to me that the potential for this, this movement is, is huge. It almost seems like a coming together of indigenous peoples um, or a, a possible in, uh, coming together of indigenous peoples from around the world, uh, kind, yeah. of, kind of a spark of sorts. And you were talking about the diversity of people that uh, one might experience when they arrived there. And I, I, just, I wrote this down right before the show. Uh, roughly 300 clergy went to Standing Rock to stand in support. Of the tribe and their efforts, so you know there uh, there seems to be a, a, a diversity of religious um, peoples. I, I guess that's as general as I can put it. Uh, coming together to support the, this effort as well.
1: Absolutely, I mean it, even people like yourself. You know, there's um, anybody that can add their voice to this. Anybody that can spread. Um, Anybody that can be there. I mean, what a, what an amazingly powerful thing that that all of those clergy showed up, and how healing for for my people, who have historically been oppressed by a lot of people of religion and
0: and unheard, also.
1: Correct. Yeah. yeah correct. So to to show that gesture of goodwill and faith, um, is amazing.
0: Uh, it's fantastic. I just uh, heard from one of my regular listeners. Uh, Liz, uh, she said she's heading out there and uh, bringing two big four-season tents, two wood stoves, among other things, uh, going out on the 25th of the month. And uh, she says uh, it's a life-changing spiritual experience at the camp. Um, And she also said that she was welcomed with open arms, literally, lots of hugs and solidarity. Uh, so yeah, Liz, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. And thanks for, uh, letting us know here at the show. Uh, Liz is great about participating on the show and I absolutely love having her on, but I, I, one of the things I love about her is that she's passionate about these issues. She's coming out from, I believe, Minnesota. Um, Mm -hmm. so not too far away, but still, still a hike. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I do want to, I do want to express that, you know, we have elders that, that couldn't travel there. I mean, so many people that I know, Native and non-Native, want to be there very badly. Um, and, and they can't for various reasons. And, and so for those people, I say, please, you know, keep them in your prayers, first and foremost. And second of all, no matter what religion you are, because to me, to us, it's all the same thing. Um, or in your intentions, if you're so, you know, so aspired in that in that way. But the... Um, do you can send donations through through many different vehicles, whether it's uh, to the legal defense funds, to um, physically through people that are going there, um, and you can also please if you if you haven't done anything, you know, call your call Congress, call the president, call the officials in Morton County, call the governor of North Dakota and express your
0: viewpoint. Sounds great. Um, the more
1: people that we can get to do that, the better.
0: Good. Um, I know it's getting late there in Michigan, and I don't want to keep you too much longer, but is there anything else that you'd like to uh, let the listeners know about regarding the Standing Rock protests? Um, or if do you want to expand on anything that we've uh, discussed or just cover something? Maybe we haven't. Um, you
1: know, my, I'm hoping to go out there pretty soon myself, so I'll, I'll be able to bring more knowledge back, but um, the, the Red Owl Legal Collective um, is looking for help for the water protectors. So if you do want to help legally, please um, access their site on Facebook or through the National Lawyers Guild website. Um, you can also provide help, of course, through donations and, and bodies. We need, we need good, warm, smiling Warm-hearted bodies.
0: Okay. Great.
1: <laughs> and um, I thank everybody for certainly for listening. Um, I, it does my heart good to know that that people everywhere are interested in this issue and, and feel strongly about it. And um, I want to thank you as well for having me.
0: Super. Well, Holly, I thank you so much for being on the show, and um, thanks for everything you're doing to help the tribe and and tribes uh, in Michigan and elsewhere. Um, I, I hope that once you once you go out there and you visit, maybe uh, if you're interested, I'd love to have you back on the show to maybe do a follow up in terms of what's going on and what you saw.
1: Absolutely, and if anybody needs to have questions or needs to contact me for any reason for a resource, um, I can be found on Facebook under Holly T. Bird, um, as in B I R D, and or um, I can be reached at uh, Holly holly Bird attorney at gmail.com.
0: Super. Well Holly, thanks again for being on and uh, and uh, I wish you well and uh, all of the help that you're doing for everybody. So have a great Thank you, David. yeah have a great night. Thanks, you too. Okay. Bye bye. Once again you're tuned in to Mark's Marvelous and the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show right here at Khen That's K-H-E-N-L-P Salida. I want to give you my disclaimer one more time. Any and all opinions that you hear on the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show are mine and mine alone. They do not represent the station, or affiliates, or anyone else for that matter, unless they say otherwise. Special thanks to Holly T. Bird for being on the show. This, thanks to everybody for tuning in and participating in the show. Special thanks to Bob and Dan for fielding the phones while I was managing the interview. And I'll be back at you in a bit. This is Mark's Marvelous and the Cosmic Paradigm Shift Show.